Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. I am your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. This show is a special show, not just because of the subject matter, but because of how close the subject matter is to me. As many of you know who follow me on Facebook, I lost my grandmother last month on November 5th, and that loss has been devastating to my life. So much of who I am is based off of the things that she taught me, how she raised me. Most of you who know that I am a writer, she was the one who taught me how to read and write. Those of you who know my love for Star Trek and sci-fi, she gave me that love for sci-fi. Those of you who know I like monster movies and the Alien and Predator franchise know that my grandmother gave me those love for horror movies. But the one thing she gave me the most was my love for Jesus. I can remember sitting on the steps, because we had steps that went to the attic, in our bedroom, and we would learn to recite scripture. And the first scripture we learned to recite was John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. I think about these types of things as I mourn her loss in my life. She was 90 years old. She would have been 91 in just a few days. When I began to suffer this loss, I found myself in turmoil. I am not in despair, but I miss her so much. Why is it that I keep thinking about her? Or even worse, sometimes I may be so busy in the day I don't think about her, and then I feel guilty for that. Then something really small and innocuous will remind me of her, and I think to myself, why is this making me cry? Why can't I stop crying? I'm not sad that she's gone. I am sad that she's gone. All these emotions and thoughts are running through my head. I want to thank so many of you who follow me on Facebook, your messages of love, your messages of concern, and your messages of hope are sincerely appreciated. But that still begs the question, I am in grief. What do I do about it? Today we're going to be talking to a returning guest co-host and contributor today, His name is Gary Rowe. In the past, I've always made sure to be sensitive to others who are dealing with grief. And now I am in the hot seat. I'm the one dealing with grief. I was so conflicted about my emotions that I reached out to Gary and practically begged him to help me. And you know what he said? Of course. That's why he's here with us today. And so without further ado, Gary, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Parker. Thank you. It's just a delight to be here. I I wish we weren't talking about this, but yet at the same time, we do need to talk about this. It is something that needs to be said. So many people, including myself, are uncomfortable with the topic of grief. But one thing you've done, Gary, in your 10 book series is that you give us practical steps to help us deal with our grief and not just deal with our grief, acknowledge it process it, go through with it, because this is something you are well acquainted with. Yes, unfortunately, I am. I experienced a number of losses very, very, very early in life. Uh, Loss of innocence and a lot of other things to sexual abuse, loss of multiple family members, never really knowing both grandfathers. They died before I really got to know them. The loss of my father when I was 15, the loss of my mom to mental illness during all of that time and uh, loss of a best friend at the age of 12. I guess in some ways I could say God used all of that to kind of put it on my radar screen that life was not going to be smooth or easy, and I was going to get hit in life, hit by loss. I, I kind of figured, you know, as I grew, I was going to experience more losses. So I thought, I have to figure out a way to handle this. And I think God was gracious enough to begin to teach me that and then turn around and use me in other people's lives. So it's really become, uh, you know, as a former missionary and a former pastor and uh, now been in fully the grief world, I guess, for about a dozen years, it's interesting how God will take some of our most painful experiences and make them a part of our mission. I'm just delighted to be able to do it because I believe Jesus was an expert at walking with hurting, grieving people. So my job is to just kind of let him use me and work through me however he wants to do that. And your mission seems to give you so much peace because God is using you in this light. 
so many emotions are going through my head. They crowd on each other. They trample each other. They step on top of one another. I have a hard time splitting them in half. Their happiness, a little bit of anger because of the way it happened, a little bit of sorrow because she's not here, glad because she's not in pain. But mm. God, why did you take her? I know mm. she was 90, but mm. I wanted her to live to be 100. She had told me that before she passed away. I found a paper in one of her sci-fi books where she had charted out her years, and she had rolled up to 2030, and she put 100 years old. So that was a desire of hers to live to be 100. And I thought, well, you said it. God's going to do it. And he didn't. He took her. I'm dealing with this irrational you know I wanted my grandma with me for as long as possible. You know that. Why did you take her? So mm. they're not right feelings. They're just feelings. And I hope you can help me and others who are dealing with grief during the holidays to at least make some sense of what we're talking about. And before I do that, I want our listeners to know about your newest grief book, which is part of your Good Grief series that's available at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Tell us what it is called and what it's about. It's called The Grief Guidebook, Common Questions, Compassionate Answers, Practical Suggestions. Uh, this book really came out of a desire to create a very user-friendly book for people. So I asked my subscribers, I just said, what questions have you had throughout your grief process? And then loading it into my own brain of the past 30 years of helping hurting, grieving people, what popped out of that were, strange number, but 71 common questions about grief. <laughs> I don't know why 71. It just worked out that way. These questions have cycled through my last 30 years over and over and over again. People sometimes ask, sometimes ask them in different ways, but it pretty much boils down to these questions. Not everybody has all of these questions, but the beautiful part of the book is you can read it straight through if you want to, and you'll get a good picture of the entire grief process. Or you can just look at the table of contents and say, what am I struggling with today? And find it and, and just go straight to it. And I love the format of this book just to give our listeners a taste of what they can expect when they pick up their copy of the Grief Guidebook, Common Questions, Compassionate Answers, practical suggestions. When you look at just the look inside feature on Amazon, you're going to be bombarded in a good way of different things that people are experiencing while they're dealing with grief. The first one is, how could this happen? And the next one says, why does this hurt so much? Is it okay to feel numb? How do I handle emotional overwhelm? Am I going to make it through this? If you're already resonating with some of these questions, you definitely want to pick up your copy of The Grief Guidebook by Gary Rowe, and that's R-O-E, Gary Rowe, available on Amazon.com. And so I'm really impressed with that because now that I am not just a sympathetic bystander, but someone who is definitely feeling the sort of questions that you're asking, it just resonates with me, particularly the emotional overwhelm, as I mentioned before. And so we're going to walk through some questions, but we're not going to go through all of them. We want you to definitely pick up this book and get it for yourself. Compassionate answers. I have been bombarded with cliche responses. As well-meaning as people are trying to be, an irrational rage gets through me. Well, she lived her life because she was 90 years old. Do you really think I care that she was 90 years old? Why would you say that? And so this book is going to equip those of us who want to be sympathetic observers with not putting our foot in our mouth. So go ahead. Tell us about why cliche answers and sayings and idioms don't always cut it with someone who is grieving. We're designed for relationships. We're designed to love and be loved, right? When we're not loved. We feel that. And when we're not able to love another person, we feel that too. And in order to love another person, you kind of have to see them. You know, you have to see them where they are. I, I think a good definition of love would probably be, okay, what did Jesus do? He came into our world. It's his world, but he came 
into our worlds and walked with us here. And he does that every day with us. And so what does it mean to love another person? Well, it's to enter their world and walk with them in their stuff for just a little while. Uh, Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's 30 seconds. But I think most people listening, you can feel seen and heard by somebody very quickly, 10 seconds. Um, Or you can talk to somebody for an hour and walk away and go, well, that was pointless because they, I don't know. I just didn't feel seen or heard there. So a cliche is like placing a very small Band-Aid on a very gaping wound. It's just incongruent. It doesn't make sense. And we don't feel seen and heard. And a grieving heart really needs to feel seen and heard. And sometimes it's best just to say nothing at all. Just be there. That way you don't stick your foot in your mouth because you're not saying anything. But this is, you know, what you've experienced, Parker, and you know this is true. Almost every grieving person, well, every grieving person I've ever talked to has experienced this. You know, why do people say what they say? Um, And we could go into that. I think people simply don't know what to say. I think people are uncomfortable with grief. And so what do we do when we're uncomfortable with something? Some of us just shut up and run away. We never show up at all, right? Some people disappear on us that we counted on. They're just not there. They never touch base. They never say, I'm sorry. They They never mention our loved one, et cetera. And then there's some other people that they will talk with us, but their uncomfortability gets the best of them. So they just blurt out what they've heard somebody else say. And there we go with the cliches. And what's hard as followers of Jesus Christ is that, I hate to say this, I I think you'll know what I mean when I say this, but sometimes people will throw scripture at you thinking that it is, oh, this is God's word. It is true. It's the best I can do for you is this. When that's, you know, I had a friend that said, what comes out of your mouth should be true, but not everything that's true should necessarily come out of your mouth at any given time, (laughs) because it may not be loving. And if our hearts, see, our hearts know, our hearts know, oh, that scripture verse, I love scripture, and that's wonderful, it's God's word, but they're using it as a band-aid on my big wound. And so we don't feel seen and heard. And so ironically, the scripture doesn't do what it was designed to do because of that. So when we're giving comfort to people or trying to, we need to watch out to just not parrot scripture at them or throw scripture at them. Um, Meet them where they are. Love them where they are. Don't say anything. Say, I'm sorry. Give them a hug because no matter what it seems like to us, their world, your world, Parker, um, is upside down. It's your, your, your entire world is different because Granny is not physically here anymore. It changes because of who she was to you and who she is to you. Everything for you has changed. Everything. And then the people around us, to add insult to injury, they don't know if they're doing it, but uh, in about six months when, you know, processing a lot of grief and they meet you and perhaps you're more upbeat or whatever the case might be, and they say, oh, there's the old Parker I know. I'm so glad you're back to yourself. And you just want, you just want to go, no, I'm not. Um, it changes us forever. You know, we're, we're, what would it say about us? If we could go back to our old normal and be the same person again, that would be saying granny didn't matter. I mean, and that's ridiculous. That's downright stupid if I can use that word. So um, people need to realize that it's not the same Parker J. Cole that they used to know. You are, but you're not. You're growing through this, and it will change you and how you process things, feel about things, think about things. And the painful part about it is because it changes us and we're connected to all of our relationships, that means it changes all of our relationships too. All of our relationships kind of shake. Some will get stronger. Some won't. Some will unravel. Others that 
have not been a part of our lives will come into our lives and there'll be very, very strong bonds there. It's a tough, tough, tough process. You kind of mirror some things that I've always thought about when it comes to relationships. Because I am an extrovert and I gravitate toward people, I enjoy people, and one thing one of the things that I did with Granny on my Facebook, I always shared my visits with her, with my followers. It wasn't something I did on purpose. It wasn't like I'm going to deliberately do this. I just started saying, hey, I'm going to go see Grandma. And what happened is that people started to gravitate just to listening stories about Granny. I would share pictures or little things that she said. And so now technology is involved. I'll get a Facebook on this day. And I'll see some memory that I share with grandma, then I'm in tears all over again. I almost hate technology right now. But you said something that I think is very profound is people using scripture as a band aid. And I get it. I am so I'm I love the Lord. Scripture is great. But I don't wanna hear that when you're just trying to basically push aside my grief. I want that acknowledgement. I want you to be cognizant that I'm in pain. But that brings me to another question, and I think we've talked about this before on the show, but it does bear repeating. A couple of days after Granny passed away, before the funeral, I felt as if I wanted the world to stop. I wanted it to stop and just pay attention to me. I am hurting. And I put this on my Facebook, and I had a gentleman, his name is Robert Mullen, and I was relating this, and he said to me this. He said, that is exactly how it is, Parker. When I lost my cousin, the talk was all about Princess Diana, and it felt completely wrong. I knew Mm -hmm. there was no way people knew he existed, but an Mm -hmm. asteroid has smashed into my world, and life on Earth would never again be the same. Meanwhile, celebrity and drama ruled. Death Mm -hmm. is like a landmine going off, and grief is a proximity wound. People far away might notice the sound. People a little closer might get hit by shrapnel, and those right on top will be maimed for life. And that's Robert, and you may have guessed he is a fabulous author. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, He's a fabulous author. He writes fantasy. And when he wrote that, I actually felt so close to him because he understood my pain. He understood what I meant by why doesn't the world stop? Don't you see how hard I'm hurting? Let's talk about that. Let's process our thoughts about that whole concept of wanting the world to stop, why it can't, and how do we accept that? That is big. I'm reminded of a uh, being a former missionary in Japan, there's a Japanese author named uh, Kenji Miyazawa, and uh, in one of his novels, he has this phrase, well, it's so descriptive, he said, in the midst of a world that moves, I alone am still. For a grieving person, I think it feels like someone reached down and pushed the pause button on our life, and the rest of the world, it is frustrating, confusing, and angering to look out the window and to see the world operating just like it did yesterday, when the world is not the same anymore. The focus on other things and celebrities and trivial stuff and all of that, it can really, really get to us. It leads to kind of what I call the great disconnect, is that we're in one place and everybody else in the world, except for other people who know grief well, and who are compassionate and loving, and people who are going through a loss now who are becoming more compassionate and loving as a result of that, we connect very quickly and easily with them and feel very safe because there's something that tells us they get it. As you said, he gets the pain. If he were sitting, he, he understands. He gets it. And so finding people like that or having them just pop up on your Facebook page That's really key to survival in this, I think, early survival. Well, we need people who get it. The other thing is to recognize that there is this disconnect. Everything feels surreal. You know, for me, after major losses in my life, it always felt like my life was in slow motion. 
while the world's life was on fast forward. And I could never keep up. And, well, we don't have to keep up. That's the good news. Uh, we don't have to keep up. We don't have to play that game. We, we really can take the time that we need because we always have a choice about our schedules. We think we don't, but we really do when push comes to shove to take the time we need to grieve well. In America, we really haven't done that. If you go back to an old Israelite culture or another culture where, uh, you know, we get a hint when we look at John chapter 11 and the death of Lazarus and Jesus, um, he goes there and when he arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. You know, the, the funeral lasted basically a week and everybody that knew Lazarus shut their life down for a week. And they were together, and they were weeping and mourning and wailing when Jesus arrived four days into this. We don't do that anymore. We, we don't, we've never done that, actually, in America. But now we've just gone, grown so uncomfortable with this. So I think a part of it is we have to come to a point where it's okay for us to be angry. It's okay for us to be frustrated, confused, etc. It's okay to have this great disconnect because we won't be able to solve that. It's going to be there. And so if we just accept that and say, this is the way it's going to be, but find ways to, to express our anger, frustration, sadness, fear, uh, guilt, uh, depression, whatever it might be, find ways to express that in healthy ways, hopefully to some healthy people. That will make a huge, huge difference. Everybody needs at least one safe person in their life. And hopefully we all have at least one, maybe more. And by safe person, I mean this is a person who has the capacity. They're not perfect, but they have the capacity to enter your pain and exist with you there for a little while. They don't try to fix it. They don't offer Band-Aids. They, they listen, they love you, and they, they accept you where you are with all your stuff, and they're not trying to pull you out of it to where they are. One thing you mentioned about how in America we don't give ourselves time to grieve, and I definitely resonate with that. My pastor, he made mention that back in the day, you had time to grieve. People would take a year to grieve maybe not in an active way, let's say after the funeral or in certain cultures, various ceremonies were done, but you mourned for a year. You dressed in, let's say, black or whatever the mourning color was. In Japanese, you know, I know something about Japanese culture, they gave you time to grieve. It was, it was be disrespectful not to miss that person, uh, not to have that going on. Even in Korean cultures, if someone dies, everyone stops and goes to the funeral, particularly if they have a Buddhist um, mm-hmm. um, background. They go to the funeral. Um, you acknowledge that person. You, you, know, you just show that person all the support. In our culture, if I hear about you having grief, okay, um, sorry for your loss. You have mm-hmm. my condolences, which mm-hmm. isn't bad. I need to make this this clear. It isn't bad. We'll talk about that in a moment. It isn't bad, but two days tops, you've got to kind of be in that murky water, and then I need you to come back because I'm uncomfortable with how you're feeling. And I find myself fighting that expectation of don't talk about it anymore. Don't yeah. think about it. And I have to fight it because I look at a picture of Granny, and she's not here. I want to call her. I want to go visit her. She's not there. And it's so such an expectation of reaching out to her that I don't even – sometimes I may even slightly forget that mm-hmm. she's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. And I go, let me go call Grandma and tell her about this. Oh, wait, you can't do that. So how can I take two days and get over it? <laughs> it's not impossible. It's impossible. So those are the type of things that is important for us when we're having this conversation about grief. Now, I want to talk about the condolences, what I was terming it to myself, first responders. Hmm. And one of my friends contacted me. She was like, Parker, I wanted to call you. I just been really busy with whatever. And I said, you are not a first responder. 
I said, you're in it for the long term. You're in it six months from now, a year from now. And I know that. But she called me as soon as she could just to let me know. And it was her and another girl besides my family. She she let me call her every day. She dropped it. I know she did. She dropped everything. And what do you need? What do you need to talk about? How can I help you? She said that. And it wasn't she wasn't putting on an act. She was very, they were both very sincere. And I appreciate that more, particularly in the first week. I appreciated that because I would call and just start crying. And I would start talking about granny and mentioning things about her. And she would just listen. She didn't mm. try to say anything. The only thing she did say, she was like, she would let me talk. And she said, well, isn't it such a good thing that you're going to see her one day? that you're going to see her in heaven one day. And it wasn't, like you said, scripture as a Band-Aid. It was encouragement. So for me, I needed that first responders. I didn't mind the first responders who said, sorry for your loss. You have my condolences. Um, A bunch of readers gave me some cards. It was a secret project. I got them last week. And I didn't expect anything because – you said something that I think is quite interesting, that you put someone in the forefront of your mind for 30 seconds even. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you took time out of your thought processes of many things you have to think about and say, hey, I hope Parker's doing okay, I don't take that lightly. So first responders, I don't mind them saying sorry for your loss. I don't mind saying I will pray for you. I don't mind that myself. It may sound cliche, but at the time, you may never know when I may just need you to acknowledge that one moment. Go ahead and talk about that because I'm on this side of grief. I'm not just the sympathetic person. I'm in it. So mm-hmm. go ahead and talk to us about that. I think those short interactions are so profound because if we do the simple math, you know, a bunch of short interactions can add up to a really good long interaction, just, just doing the short, just doing the math. So um, one of the things that I think – has been very helpful to me when I'm grieving and other people say the same thing is that when we're out there and we think of someone to at that moment, if, if at all possible at that moment, cause you know how it is, right? We think of them and we're, we're driving to the bank and then we, you know, and then zip it's gone. And yeah. so right when we think of them, if we can pull over or if we can stop for a minute, if we have their cell phone, pull out our cell phone, text them, just say, I'm just thinking about you. And then if we're a praying person, we'll say, I'm praying for you right now. We don't, you don't need to go into why you're thinking about them. They already know, right? You don't need to say anything else. It's huge. Same thing for cards. You know, a card that just says, I'm thinking about you says a lot. I mean, they got the card. They put it in an envelope. They put a stamp on it. They, they, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, and we know that. So the simple thing of when we think of someone responding at that moment, if it's on a Facebook page, if it's in a Facebook message, if it's on social media, if it's uh, privately texting, whatever the case might be, it is so, so profound and important. That can change a person's week. And in fact, I've even heard a story of how a text message that just said, I'm thinking about you and praying for you, came at the critical moment and saved someone's life. So those little touches are massive, so important. And I I know that some of us are, you know, I'm not necessarily including myself in this group, but there's some people that are really good listeners. But even... You're a really good listener. Let me talk to you for a minute. You know, we think we're not going to make a difference if we don't spend, spend significant time with the person. That's not true. We can use those little touches, and we need to. That when we think about that person, just give them a little touch somehow, email, text, whatever it might be, social media, um, because all of those things really do add up and make a huge difference. Thank you so much for saying that, Gary, because I can definitely attest to those little touches. People who out of the queer blue have texted me, hey, Parker, I am thinking of you. Now, I will admit, as a Christian, I'm not as fond of the term I'm sending light and love to you. I'm not as fond of it because for me, 
you can't send light and love. <laughs> so, but I get what they're trying to say. I get they're being um, as, you know, professionally, secular, encouraging as they possibly could. But I, I acknowledge that. A few people say, I'm sending light and love your way. And I, I said, thank you. I will admit, I said, thank you. But you kind of know who I am. I'm a child of the king. And light and love doesn't really do it for me. But I appreciate that. Even in that, I appreciate that you thought enough to say it. Does it really um, give me the kind of comfort that you think it's going to give me? No. What's, what's going to give me is that you are actively seeking God on my behalf. That's going to help me, that you are actively reaching out to the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, who can heal a broken heart. That is what gets me going. But I understand everyone has a a religious background. I get that, too. And that's why this book the Grief Guidebook is so helpful because it stands across many different philosophies, I think, because grief really is the same. And this book is going to help those of you who have questions, who are going through grief right now, no matter your background, can benefit from it. Now, Gary and I are coming from a particular background. We are children of the king, so we are coming from that background. But Gary understands not everyone holds to that, which is one of the reasons why I think your books are so successful, because you get to the heart of the problem. You can have people who, are, who don't believe in anything, who still need to have questions answered. <laughs> they still have problems in their life, and so I want to encourage those of you out there to go ahead and pick up your copy of the grief guidebook and then make sure you follow Gary online as you can tell this is his ministry he's been doing this now for some time a couple of days a couple of weeks or so he's been dealing with this and you can just tell he is very much well aware of what's going on when it comes to grief Gary the next question I want to ask you is this there are people who have experienced harsh treatment by those who are very well-meaning in their desire to help people. But instead of helping, it becomes a sort of abuse. They put a time limit on their grief. They say, well, if you had just did this, this wouldn't happen, so you need to get over it. So it's an abuse of someone who is grieving. Now, I personally have not experienced that for myself, but it's something I think we need to talk about because my good friend Robert also mentioned that when his cousin died, a number of people, particularly in church, were really horrible to his aunt who was experiencing grief for her son. Let's talk about that for a moment. Sad to say, and I'm speaking here as, you know, a former missionary and pastor and still involved in church leadership, but not in that role. And um, I will say that some people in churches are notoriously insensitive. You know, we could go into why they do this, but that's not the point because that doesn't help us deal with it. Um, How they seem to put themselves, and that you don't have to be a Christian to do this because anybody can do this. They put themselves in the evaluator's chair. They they, They look at us and they decide how we're doing. And uh, I tend to call them either hypercritical judges or fixers. And the hypercritical judge, you know, they just come in and tell you what's wrong and what you ought to do different, and, um, but they won't lift a finger to do any of that, any of that with you. You know, they, they won't actually help. They'll just unload on you and zip, they're gone. The fixer tends to be a little more persistent in that they come in with their tool belt every time. And sometimes they hit you over the head with a hammer and sometimes they pull out the screwdriver. And their goal is to help us feel better. I don't know whether they're uncomfortable with heavy emotions or unpleasantness, et cetera. And then, frankly, I think you have just some mean and bitter people out there. Or let's not call them that. Let's say they're allowing their meanness and their bitterness to control them at the moment, to dominate, and it comes out at us who, we can't withstand that kind of thing right now. So what do we do? So there's several options about how we can respond to this. Uh, One option is we say nothing, we do nothing, we just walk away. Uh, I'm not saying that's a good option, but I am saying for some people, that may be the best option because for some of us, we're so taken aback that we end up starting a war, 
you know, or almost, and we end up doing things that we regret because they did something that we allowed to control how we responded to them, and we don't want to go there. You know, it's the old thing of, um, I would prefer to fight fire not with fire, but with a fire extinguisher, right? So don't give them, don't give them what they gave you. Instead, here we go, we're back to Matthew 7, 12, and all things do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. So uh, we listen. Uh, privately, we have to forgive. And I say have to. And people say, no, I don't. And I say, well, do you want the way they treated you to continue to control your heart and to plant seeds of bitterness in your heart and to destroy other relationships other than that relationship? No, you don't want that. Uh, you want to guard and protect your own heart. So what does that look like? Well, that has to do with not responding in kind the way they did, but responding. Um, sometimes we can respond realistically, which is, you know, I just have to say this. That's just really not helpful to me. What would be more helpful to me is if you say that, whatever it is. My personal experience is, Unless you have a, kind of a long-term relationship with them, um, most of the time people who want to fix you or who are critical of you, if you say anything at all, it heats up the room and things get hotter. And that won't benefit you in any way. And so um, it's, it's hard, but I think sometimes some of the best responses is, is to just say, well, thank you for your concern. Uh, I, wish, I wish I could say that I'm doing as well as you think I should be doing, but I, I'm really not right now, and so I hope you'll pray for me. Um, and then you, you know, with smoke coming out of your ears, you just turn away, and you, you, you the first opportunity you get, you get with the Lord, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know, you can still forgive. You, you, it's just, if you are a follower of Jesus, and I'll say this bluntly, you have a huge advantage because Jesus lives in you and he is an expert at forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is not giving someone a pass. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't matter or it didn't hurt. Forgiveness, in fact, is saying it did matter, it did hurt, I'm devastated, and that's why I have to forgive. And so I choose to forgive and release this person so that my own heart won't be shackled with bitterness. You know, there's a common phrase out there that says something like um, that lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. You know, it, forgiveness doesn't affect the other person, really. I mean, it can, but forgiveness is for us. The little Greek word in the New Testament, afiemi, for forgiveness, means to release a bird from a snare. And uh, there was a whole theologian long gone that wrote a poem saying, I took the time and I forgave because I heard that forgiveness sets the prisoner free. But after I forgave, I discovered that the prisoner was me. Forgiveness is for us. It's not for the other person. So that's why it's so important. Now, if you, if you don't know um, Jesus is your Savior, it's the same process still where, where you just, you know, you have to make the choice to, for your own benefit, release them. That doesn't mean that they're your best friend now. That doesn't mean you want to have coffee with them. Um, forgiveness and trust are two totally different things. I think we protect our hearts from grief abuse. You can't, by the way, you can't stop that from happening. You can't behave in a certain way to keep that from happening. Um, it's just going to happen to us sometimes. And when it does, it's best if you've thought through it beforehand, if you can, you know, kind of imagine somebody saying something mean and come up with a few canned phrases that you can use. If you can boil it down to one, that's great. Just as simple as, well... Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I have good days and I have bad days. 
So would you pray for me? All of that would be true, right? We need, we need to say things that are true. So having a can phrase, protecting our hearts, and forgiving quickly in order to protect our hearts. And oh, by the way, um, forgiveness, I believe, is a one-time event, but we have to do it multiple times sometimes. In other words, we don't forgive 10%. We don't forgive 20%. We, just, we choose to forgive. And that doesn't mean we feel great about it. <laughs> that doesn't mean uh, we need to forgive right then and there if possible. And then every time that, that memory of that person saying that gets triggered, we forgive again and again and again and again because that's the quickest way to, I put it this way, this is kind of a gross analogy. Forgive me for this. Imagine somebody else coming up to you and throwing up all over you, okay? Because that's just what happened in, in grief abuse. That's kind of what that happened. And you're like, what is this? You know, this is, this is terrible. But as you learn to deal with this, it's almost like before you go out, you're, you know, you have a couple of canned phrases, you kind of know what you're going to do. It's like putting on a rain poncho. And then when this comes at you and somebody throws up on you, it just kind of slides right off. I mean, as you get good at forgiving that's one way of saying, this is not going to stick to me. Sorry. This is not going to stick to me. You know, we've covered a lot in such a short time, and that's one thing I really can appreciate is because of the fact that you do have experience with this. You know how to cut through all the, the mist that goes through mm-hmm. a person's mind. To let you know how bad it was for me, I had to push a book back on Amazon, and I am crying on the phone to an Amazon operator, <laughs> crying on the phone. And it just so happened the Amazon operator was raised by his grandmother. And so he's given me words of comfort, and he's understanding where I'm coming from, and he's all the way over in India. And he's helping me in India with this. And he's like, people will never understand what it's like to have your grandmother raise you and to be a huge part of your life like that because they don't have that anymore. That's what he was telling me. And he was just being so helpful. Then all of a sudden the call cut off. I was so mad. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is giving me healing words all over in India and lets us know that there are people out there. You may feel as if you are alone in this thing. The world has moved on, like you said earlier. Here you are disconnected, and you're standing still while the world is just keep going. And then the Lord will let someone else understand who doesn't even know who you are. And I mean, I mean, I was crying on the phone. I'm like gushing to this guy. I can't even finish my sentence. I was crying so much. And he was just listening to me. And let me know that I'm not the only one who's dealing with this. And that's why books like yours and the rest of the books in this series are so important. So let's just highlight a couple of these books, particularly recently, one of them that you talked about, um, and we had on the show too, was about when a parent loses a child. And that's what I love about your series is that you tackle the grieving process of something like this. I think it was shattered, losing mm-hmm. the life, um, losing a child, which is, I've been told the most, if it's not the hardest loss ever, it's up there. It's up there because you, the natural order of things that you want to outlive your child and for whatever reason that doesn't happen. You have a book about that. You have a book about losing your spouse, someone you've lived with for a year, a day, uh, 60 years. I think the oldest couple who's been married was like, what, 80 80 years or something like that. He was 120. I think she was 113. (laughs) You know, so, um, you know, losing your spouse. You have a book that deals with that. You have a book that deals with, I'm not doing well right now. Please be patient with my grief. I'm grieving. So you have so many books in this Good Grief series that I think our listeners need to be aware of. So as they browse through your website, which is GaryRowe.com, as they browse through your website, what can they expect in all of these resources that you are touching on a need that they have happen in their lives? All of my books um, are designed to connect with people's hearts. That's, That's my goal, is to as we could say it, it's almost like I, I wrote the book to be a companion, as if I, I am coming in 
or another grieving person is coming into their world and just be with them in that for a little while, for one chapter, for two chapters. Another thing about my books is all my chapters are very short, one, two, three pages at the most, because when we're grieving, we don't want long. We, we don't, mm -mm. Um, The other thing is I try to make them super easy to read. Why? Because when we're grieving, we don't want complicated either. And I stay away from being heavily psychological. Why? Because when we're grieving, we need simple, practical things from someone that we sense gets it. So every book, I kind of began with the idea of how can I make this book a companion for, for example, a grieving parent or a grieving spouse, uh, or someone who has lost a loved one to suicide. In the case of the grief guidebook, somebody who's just wondering, am I crazy? Am I going to make it through this? Am I all alone here? I don't feel like myself. What's going on with me? I feel overwhelmed all the time. And the other, the, and you know this, Parker, the beautiful thing about a book is it can be there when nobody else is. You know, it can be there. It can be there. It's the it's outside of God. <laughs> you know, a book can be there 24-7 if you're, you know, you've got it with you. And that can be, we all need multiple touches. We need face-to-face -face with people. We need hugs. We need words. We need books. We need online resources. We all lack a certain thing better than the other. Uh, oh, one thing is if you go to my website and you click on the resource tab, I have a bunch of free resources there, um, a couple of eBooks, uh, one kind of email course, I call it. It's not really a course, but it's eight emails that come to you once a week that kind of guide you through the grief process. It's kind of like the, um, it's not super deep. It's just designed to meet you where you are and to encourage you. And, you know, if grieving people know that they're not alone, they're not crazy, and they will make it through it through this. That goes a long way. So, Gary, right before we have you go, you know, Christmas is coming. The holidays are coming. Granny's not going to be here. Her birthday is five days before Christmas. There are other people who have lost loved ones, and the holidays were very special to them, and they're not anymore. Or they still are, but they're feeling the hurt of that. How can you help us deal with grief during the holidays? Grief during the holidays is hard. I, I, you know, I often say sometimes it feels like working through our grief is like a solo swim of the Atlantic Ocean or a, an unassisted climb up Mount Everest. Um, but the holidays put that on steroids. I mean, it's just because the holidays are so full of memories that we bump into a memory with every step. And before, those memories were great. Now, they're still great and they're going to be great in the future. But when we're grieving, those same memories are painful now. And it's like I had a, a, a veteran um, patient with hospice um, when I was working as a chaplain with hospice that once said, you know, the holidays remind me of Vietnam. Uh, he said, it's like I'm walking through a minefield. I, I never know where, where the next boom is going to come from. And so I tread very carefully during the holidays. So the key to dealing with the holidays is really the key to dealing with grief all the time, which is guarding your heart, be realistic about what you can do and what you can't. Because if you're grieving, and again, I'm a simple math guy, if um, grief is taking up 50% of your internal space right now, um, that only leaves 50% of you left to do everything that 100% of you did before. And so you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be fatigued. You're not going to be able to focus. You're going to forget things. You're not going to drive as well. You're going to bump into walls sometimes. I mean, it's, it's really strange, but it's all a part of grief. It's really hard to be out among all these decorations and flashing lights and gifts and uh, all of that when you're missing somebody. Every, you, you walk around and everybody else is with their families or whatever. It can be a very painful time for a grieving person. This is where we have to have our safe people in place and talk to them and share with them. We have to find ways to get the grief out 
is what I would say. Express it, talking it out, writing it out, drawing it out, whatever, whatever we need to do. And we need a plan to honor our loved one during whatever holiday is important to us or was maybe important to them, maybe multiple holidays. Keep the plan simple, but ask yourself, what can I do to remember and honor them on this day? Um, again, keep it simple. It's better to do something simple and then you can do more with it rather than planning something complicated and something falls through and you feel like you failed. <laughs> you don't need that on top of everything else. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Thank you for your wisdom, and thank you for everything that you do. In the few moments we have left, I'm going to mute myself, and I would love for you to pray for us. Father, thank you that we get to be together today. Thank you that we are alive in your world, Lord. And we want to thank you that you created each one of us in your image, that each one of us is unique in all of human history, and that is true for every other person we meet. It's also true for the people that we've lost. And so when we lose someone unique in human history, we, use a, we lose a relationship that's unique in human history, and that hurts. And you know that, Lord. Lord Jesus, you are well acquainted with grief. You know what we feel. You feel it, I believe, with us. You walk with us in our grief. And so today... Would you allow us to experience your presence in some special ways today and in the midst of our grief in the future? Would you let us know that we are in your arms and that you are walking with us through this? And whatever we need, Lord, we're just going to trust you because we don't know what we need. So we're going to trust you to supply that, whatever it is, exactly when you want to do that. Because this life is all about walking with you. So help us to just walk with you, Lord. Help us to just walk with you. Thank you for Parker. I, I pray especially for her today. I pray that uh, you would bring comfort in some miraculous ways over the holidays. Thank you for her. Thank you for all that she is to all of us. Thank you for the ways that you use her. We ask today that you would bless her abundantly in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And, Gary, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Sounds great. And we were talking today to Gary Rowe. As you can tell, he is an author. He is a former chaplain as well as someone who really understands what grief is all about. Are you dealing with grief just like I am? Are you having questions of your heart, of your spirit that you need answered? Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today of the Grief Guidebook by Gary Rowe. It's available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I really appreciate all of you who have sent your condolences out to me. I don't take it lightly. If you think I do, I'm telling you right now, I don't. So thank you for all those who have reached out to me to comfort me as I deal with the loss of Granny. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. And God bless. <laughs>